listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Welcome to episode 157 of the Testudo Times podcast. Uh, Thomas and Justin are going to be talking most of the show because if you haven't yet realized what day this is that we're recording yet, uh, it's Wednesday afternoon. I've spent the most of the afternoon sick, then high on adrenaline and screaming, and now I feel sick again. Comes after when you have a chest cold and you just watch your team make a Champions League final in the most ridiculous way possible. So, uh, Thomas, let's talk about Shoal Mariel, who is now officially a Maryland commit. Tell us everything about him that you didn't mention on the last show. Well, I would first like to say congratulations on Tottenham Hotspur with one of the weirdest, most unreal last few minute comebacks I've ever seen. Um, I, I have no idea how I'm even comprehending what has just happened. I mean, I haven't comprehended it. It's just kind of like, okay. My club, um, the teams I like don't do that. The teams I like no. don't do that. No, same. <laughs> The Caps did well, your once. Team won, your it. team won a damn cup. Shut up. I, this is the <laughs> best I've had since the Mets in the World Series. Fair. Probably the best thing I've ever had, actually. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, Shul Mariel. Shul Mariel uh, took what was going to be a slow week for us and turned it into a lot of fun. Um, last week with... I mean, Maryland had recruited him for a while. Uh, the Bruno Fernandez scholarship wasn't officially open, but... Um, it was opened up last week with Fernando announcing he would return to the draft. And now Shulmariel is on board. And th- it's exciting. Don't get too amped up about him individually. But it, it says a lot about the team because this is sort of the 13th scholarship. And worst case scenario is, as we've talked about, he just, you know, he might, maybe he doesn't qualify academically because he's bounced around like 27,000 high schools. Um He's had injuries for years, and foot and shin injuries, especially for a big man, are definitely things to worry about. Um, They have other pieces if he can't make an impact, but if he can, it will be quite an impact. Um, He is a 7-2 center with a 7-11 wingspan, which I, I don't have a joke for that. What? How is that even humanly possible? It shouldn't be. How is I mean, evolution there are no human beings that have that? There are no NBA players that have a 7'11 wingspan. Mo Bamba's 7'10". Does that mean Shoal Mariel's getting a rap song from... Uh, yes, know. and I think we might get him the Shoal chant. Possibly. I, I think that's going to happen. Can you chant Shoal to Seven Nation Army? Uh, I mean, they're going to try, and it's going to be bad. But like, I think they'll just do the the skull chant with it and they'll be fine that'll work i'm okay with that. yeah we've we've been kind of it's been kind of inevitable that that was going to make its way to college park somehow and this is probably the best way to By do it by the way the icelanders in the 2016 european championships didn't start that chant that was the seattle sounders many many more years before tying this back to soccer in case people didn't realize where that chant came from i had to say that now in a public forum, and now let's talk more about a guy that nearly has an eight-foot wingspan, which is the wingspan of bats, not human beings. Yeah, so uh, anyway, it goes without saying that a 7-2 center with a 7-11 wingspan would be a pretty good rim protector. Um, 
that's been that's been a strength of his every every time he's been healthy. Um, rebounder as well. He can shoot threes, which is which was like what made him this internet phenomenon when he was a freshman in high school. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it's we're not sure if he's going to qualify or be healthy, or maybe he even you know if he is healthy would come off the bench because his game hasn't been. Um, you know, it's not polished right now. It's he's he's missed so much time, but the potential's there, and it's kind of a no-brainer just with all the weapons Maryland already has to to take the to take a flyer on a guy like that. I was about to say, like this seems like just taking a flyer, but the upside's really high, and the downside is if he doesn't work out, Maryland's got twelve other scholarship players who have already proven that they can play. So I'm at a high level. Hi, hi, Justin. I'm sorry that my voice doesn't sound great. And I'm sorry to all of you for uh, uh, not having an angelic voice. Not like my voice is angelic, but it sounds a lot worse than it normally does. Uh, but imagine if Marilyn was in a Final Four and wanted a buzzer beater. Our voices would all sound like that, and that's why my voice sounds like it does for the equivalency. Uh, I don't think we could expect a ton of Mariel instantly because he is so hurt. Uh, he is very raw. He's like even raw than Bruno Fernando, and Bruno was incredibly raw. And Maryland doesn't have the need to play him. So, do you expect much from him next year, or do you think there's a potential that he could be like a sort of ace in the hole for a team that has an X factor that very few other teams have? The way I've kind of the way I've looked at the signing is, it's a very low risk and potentially high reward signing. It's the last scholarship. It's a guy who's battled health problems who they don't necessarily need to contribute but if they do it's an added bonus like thomas said i wouldn't expect him to be ready to contribute right away because he missed so much time and is so raw but he seems to be a guy that could work his way in later to this season and if this maryland team does end up living to some of the hype they're getting he could be a guy who comes off the bench and can potentially make a difference i'm not going to go as far as john rothstein who said that Mariel is in his projected starting lineup for Maryland in the fall at this point. I'm sorry, but it's I think what? Yeah, Rothstein did tweet that that I mean I know Jalen Smith saw Mariel I apologize. I know Tottenham's in a Champions League final, so I'm kind of in a bit of a funk right now. I don't think anything's real, but what the hell? I mean, that's that was on that was on Twitter, I think, about the same time that he committed. So Has some people are very yet? high on what? Has the tweet been deleted yet? I I don't know. I haven't checked since, but I would guess no. It, it, I mean, upside wise, like he would totally start. He could totally start eventually. I just would not expect it right away. Why would he? No, neither would I. You don't need him to. No, I just I just wonder if in College Park we're going to change Seven Eleven from Free Slurpee Day to Shaw Mary all day. But that was the only. It's the only potential joke I can kind of find about a 7-Eleven wingspan, and even then, it's a reach. That's a real reach. Well, you tried, though, and I'm proud of you for trying. That's not bad. It's not bad. Well, I can't think of any other 7-Eleven jokes that aren't racist, so I'm not going to say them. So, regardless of that. So, like, what's the over-under on minutes? What's the over-under on points? What's your over-under, Thomas, on where we think he could end up being next year? I mean, worst case scenario is Maryland's injury luck that was really good last year falls apart and they have problems. Or best case scenario, if everyone's healthy and playing at full tilt. I mean, I, I guess if he's healthy, he's probably a rotation player. I would 
maybe the numbers 15 to 20 in that range. Um, he wouldn't, he certainly wouldn't be more than that. He'd be, he'd be splitting time at center, even if he was healthy, cause they would be cautious. Um, with, with Makai Mitchell, maybe even Jalen Smith plays in five. So even if healthy, which I mean, minutes per game, you know, doesn't get super affected by that. Um, I, I think that's kind of the range that you would look for. He's an X factor. I think that's basically what he is at this point until proven otherwise. But you can imagine in some alternate universe, maybe in the universe where Tottenham makes the Champions League final. I'm sorry, I'm going to mention that the entire podcast because I can't stop thinking about it. Maybe in that alternate universe that we might now live in, Mariel becomes an impact player for Maryland in the NCAA tournament and takes them past the Sweet 16. Anything's possible now. Yeah, and his his upside is the kind of upside that can take this very good Maryland team with a lot of depth one level up. It can vault him into that sort of national, you know, nationally relevant all year kind of a team. So that I mean, that's what that's what I love about the signing is that the risk is really low because there are a lot of other players, but the reward could be could be huge. Justin Maryland's going to be perhaps thirteen deep next year. I mean, you can't play 13 players in a game unless it's like a blowout against a scrub team in November, but, I mean, realistically and feasibly, they could be 13 deep. And I know that, you know, they might not have the top-end talent unless somebody really takes a step, and that's always possible, but, I mean, they're going to be one of the deepest teams in the sport next year. No, I mean, it's kind of... It's kind of crazy to think about. I mean, last year, Mark Turgeon really had to force, you know playing Ricky Lindo and Sorrell Smith minutes because if not, the team was going to run out of gas by the middle of January. And so with all those guys coming back and you think two freshmen like Makai Mitchell and Dante Scott that can probably find minutes right away, a guy like Mikel, more developmental to Akeem Hart and Shaw Mary all think can be solid players down the line, but there doesn't really seem to be a weak guy on that bench not like last year when you saw or maybe even Bender Joshua Tamayich getting minutes you knew things probably weren't going well or something drastic needed to change but there are just a lot of options I mean obviously some guys you'd want to see more but there's a lot of potentially interesting lineup combinations minutes to distribute I'm sure Mark Turgeon is really looking forward to you know this year and the depth he has but I'll certainly be a challenge i mean getting that many talented players that many minutes there are some guys that are going to be you know unhappy with how much they end up playing and i think it's going to be real interesting to see how that plays out and how turgeon you know manages that as the year goes on it's a good point and who knows how that's going to happen because mark turgeon never had a particularly deep team he's always had teams with good top end talent but he's never had a deep team never certainly as deep as this and uh, how you juggle minutes for a lot of players, about 10 of them, I think, who could say we deserve legitimate minutes every game. Some of them might say we even le- deserve legitimate starter minutes. That balance is going to be perhaps the ultimate key as to how good Maryland could be next year and whether they could reach their potential. Uh, Kevin Broadus, who we talked about last show, has officially left Maryland, and now they have an open spot on their bench. And, Thomas, I'll ask briefly before we move on to other sports, have there been any concrete rumors as to who might replace him have we had any leads in that front that we could say publicly i've heard a little bit of uh dwayne simpkins who's currently at mason played at maryland played at dematha um you know he's he's been around a while he'd be 
a pretty good addition. I don't have too much else. I am, I think, higher than Maryland is on Keith Gatlin, um, who's now a Division One assistant after spending a long time as a high school coach. He was Aaron Wiggins' high school coach over at uh, over in North Carolina. So, um, you know, those are those are just some names to keep an eye on. I think if there's a front runner right now, it's Simpkins, but the the process is still ongoing as far as I know. So how long do you think it'll be before we get a definitive answer? End of the month, probably? Certainly within the month, um, just because Maryland doesn't need to focus on like recruiting too much. Uh, in the interim, Greg Manning, the video coordinator, has stepped into that role, but I don't expect him to um, actually you know, fill that role going forward. So let's now move on, sadly, to sad sports things, and it's not usual that we talk about Sad sports things when it talks to Maryland lacrosse, but we have to now. It's unfortunate. Now, where do you want to start, Justin? What do you want to pick up with? I think, I guess the more interesting thing is that Maryland's women's, women's lacrosse actually lost a game. Doesn't, can I, doesn't can I go happen over some of my favorite often. stats from that game? I watched a lot of it, actually which is rare for me in Maryland women's lacrosse. I should be watching it more than I have done, but that was the first time they were down by as many goals as they were in like 12 years. It was the first Big Ten game they lost in four years. Like just the numbers of things that were crazy about that game are, are just nuts. And it's the first time that I could ever say, wow, they didn't play well at all for the whole game because that never happens. No, yeah, it was – I watched probably – most of the first half and it was it was like I agree I'm ever seeing that team play that way I think they've said after game Northwestern you know clearly wanted it more probably hustled a bit more finished a few shots Northwestern's goalie had a very very good first half and that really allowed them to continue to keep their foot on the gas and Maryland just couldn't couldn't really get anything going offensively. I think defensively, Northwestern got a few too many easy looks. But if there's any time, you know, get a good kick in the pants and get a wake-up call, it's before the NCAA tournament. I mean, better better to get that game out of the way now. They've had some – they had that, you know, kind of slip up against Georgetown in the first half a few weeks ago before really pouring it on. But I think, you know, if there's any time to lose a game, it's, you know – now because you know gets them to refocus gets them to you know see if that's the level they have to play at and especially a senior class that has contributed so much and even if they won't say it i'm sure definitely wants to you know go out on top it just gets them to refocus and for a potentially tough weekend or tougher than you would think the number one overall seed would get ahead so let's go over their draw for a second. They'll play either Stony Brook or James Madison. That would be, I don't remember the dates of the calendar anymore, Sunday, Sunday. Everything in my brain does not make sense anymore. Uh, that's a difficult game, perhaps. And it's fascinating how their draw could end up being. They could end up playing at Homewood Field again against Northwestern if they went out in the Final Four. Maryland teams, when they lose, they often come out and respond in kind. And that is not something I would expect them to not do if they get another crack at Northwestern to be their third meeting of the year. And it's going to be a difficult run because they could end up playing Michigan in the quarterfinals in College Park. That's a pretty brutal... If you're thinking Stony Brook or James Madison, then Michigan, Northwestern, BC. That's about as hard a run as Maryland's ever had. 
to win on Memorial Day weekend, isn't it? I mean, I don't know if it's any harder. That would be the chalk, but I think this is a year where you could say there are probably four or five teams that you would count as favorites. You know, Maryland, Boston College, North Carolina, who beat Boston College in the ACC final. Northwestern, obviously, beat Maryland last weekend. And Syracuse is the five who has played Maryland, UNC, and BC all really close this year. So, but I think the first their first game could be potentially tough. Stony Brook and James Madison are not as good as they were last year, but they are playing. They're probably playing their best lacrosse. Maryland thumped James Madison in March. They're playing much better now. Stony Brook had a bit of a rough start after losing two probably their best players ever and possibly two of the most potent offensive players in NCAA history. And they're, you know, a tough draw, not only because they're playing really good lacrosse, but they play a zone defense, kind of flummoxed Maryland two years ago. And their coach likes to ruffle some feathers and, you know, they're definitely going to be motivated because even though the best players on that team from two years ago, many of them have moved on. I'm sure there are a ton in that Ross on that roster in that Stony Brook locker room that, you know, remember what it felt like to be there and blow that lead. And James Madison lost a lot from last year, but, you know, they're defending national champions. It's not like you're facing a team that's, you know, going to be intimidated to play Maryland. No. Are you surprised, even after the way they lost, that they got the number one overall seed? Because arguably the two best teams lost to the next two best teams on championship weekend. So, I mean, there's not a ton of surprises, but are you surprised they still got the number one overall seed? Not not particularly. I if, think if just... If they had beaten UNC, I think it would have been flipped. But Yeah, yeah. So do I. I think it's just the way that RPI played out. Both Maryland and Boston College had played really hard schedules. I believe Maryland had more wins over RPI top 10 and 20 teams than Boston College and that's kind of what the NCAA looks at even though I could go on and on about how the RPI is flawed for the small sample size in lacrosse but that's what they look at and Maryland checked off more boxes I think of the final top 10 at least for much of this season they had beaten eight of the top 10 teams in the top 10 in the rankings the two teams they didn't beat were obviously Maryland themselves and Boston College. So it's pretty hard to beat. And even, but even saying that, you know, I think this is a year, you know, North Carolina, Syracuse took Maryland to overtime. There's five teams that you could legitimately say have a shot to win it all. And a few teams that, you know, the right day happens and, you know, they have the blueprint to beat every team in the field. Is it the deepest you know, field? You could seen? be some surprises. What? Is it the deepest field that you've seen in, in recent years? I don't follow women's lacrosse enough to be able to make a, such a statement. I I honestly don't either. I think at the top it's deeper. It's not, you know, a Maryland and then everybody else. I think last year was deep at the top, and I think this year is this year is similar. There's no team that, even though Boston College got a lot of the hype and deservedly so into the year just because of their trio on offense – of Apuzo Arsenal and Kenzie Ken, I think, you know, there has not been one dominant team the whole year of, say, you know, Maryland two years ago that you'd be stunned if they didn't win it. I think, you know, any of the, the top four seeds could easily all make it to championship weekend. They all, you know, could not. So, Thomas, do you have any thoughts about uh, these things before we move on to even more depressing lacrosse topics? 
I mean, I, I, I'm going to say that I'm not surprised by the number one either, although it was, you know, there was a little bit of drama there. Um, Maryland, I think, had slightly more good wins over the course of the year than BC, but also had a worse loss, however you want to stack that up. Um, I, I keep coming back to the words from Sasso Shirovsky after his team won the NCAA tournament that it's hard to learn when you're winning. And his team was four, five, and three and learned a lot about themselves and changed some things and got hot and ended up winning the whole thing. Um, Maryland women's lacrosse has now tasted losing and has finally seen what happens if it doesn't play well and knows that, you know, I mean, that's a team that they're, in line to play again on the very same field in a couple weeks if, you know, if they can even get that far. And so having that opportunity to get back there will obviously be motivating for them. Um, just getting back in the wing column this weekend, you know, Stony Brook and James Madison, that's a tough, that's a pretty tough draw because both teams are pretty good. Um, they just, They've always they're they're the kind of teams that always get a little underseeded because they're not in very good conferences and they're not able to stack their schedule um, the way that a team like Maryland is. But yeah, it, it's it's not the easiest road. But if you if you win it all, you have to beat everyone. So it happens. Let's now move on to the men, and this is even more depressing. Although let me be honest, after how I saw them lose in 2016, losing the way they've done is not the worst thing that I've ever seen happen to Maryland lacrosse, and they did go a billion years without winning a title, but they've really fallen off the end of this season. Lost to Hopkins on the last home game of the year, and then they went up to wherever I think the the final four was. Was it Piscataway? I think it was. Yes. Okay, even better. Even better. And they lost again. And now they're unseated. I don't have the information in front of me, but I cannot remember the last time Maryland was unseated in this tournament. They've made it to Memorial Day weekend every year except one, as I look at it briefly since John Tillman took over as coach. They have a really brutal road now to get there, and they're not playing well, and they're not confident. So, uh, yeah, where do they go from here? So it's one of those, I, now that they're in, because there was drama there, like they, they almost played themselves completely out of it. It's that hard to make the but tournament. I think like, men's you know, like when when like men's soccer gets into the tournament because they're Maryland, like it would be really hard for Maryland men's lacrosse to play its way out of the tournament, even though they played really badly down the stretch. It's like one of those things where it's like, oh, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt because it's Maryland, right? Not even. I mean, they they got in barely over um, Cornell. They had they were one spot ahead of Cornell in RPI. They were behind Cornell in strength of schedule. However, the NCAA determines that. Um, yeah, and they were coming in off them, nothing. To be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, but he, but here's the thing: is that this is a team that we know what they're capable of, and it would really not surprise a lot of people if they could act. I mean, they can make a run. Like they're at Towson this weekend. There's going to be a lot of Maryland fans at that game. Um, it's it's interesting enough. Maryland and Towson haven't played since 2011. Um, Weird. Which, yeah, I mean, especially just considering they're so close. We'll we'll have more on that. I think John Tillman talked today. He was he he wanted to sort of expand the program's national profile, and so he took uh, 
some teams like Towson and maybe Loyola Maryland off the schedule added some games against teams like Notre Dame, who Maryland's played a lot in recent years. But, you know, this is going to be a fun matchup for, for the state. And, but at the same time, like, there will be a lot of Maryland fans at that game. And Maryland's got the talent to go into another team's building and win in the NCAA tournament. And then they would the most likely... Home in the tournament. Like, that hasn't happened in years. It, that, it has been a while. The last time they were unseated, I believe, was 2012 which That's is the, the last time, time Maryland women's lax hasn't been the number one overall seed. It's the, it's the last time that Maryland didn't make Memorial Day weekend. Like, like men's lacrosse, in many ways, is not quite as deep yet as the women's field is because there aren't as many schools playing men's lacrosse. But, I mean, Maryland still, under John Tillman, every year except one has been a Memorial Day weekend, which is crazy. And this is probably his toughest task now, I think, to get to Memorial Day weekend. Not only win a road game, but then beat Virginia – I believe that game would be in beautiful Nassau County, New York, again, just to get to the Final Four. Yeah, I mean, as far as a run for an unseated team, like, it's not the hardest, but it's going to be the hardest path that a John Tillman team has had at Maryland in a long time because they really, really lived to the finish. I mean, they took a – they played a Johns Hopkins team that was 500 and lost to him by five goals twice. That's and that got Hopkins just, in. Yeah, I mean, Hopkins got in. I don't know necessarily who was the last team in um, because the, the way that they do the unseated teams is sort of by convenience for them. And so, like, playing at Towson would seemingly be preferable to playing at Notre Dame, which Hopkins is doing. But at the same time, Towson's the six, Notre Dame's the seven. So whatever the case is kind of Maryland Hopkins last teams in and yeah I mean be- beating Maryland twice is really what got uh Hopkins in the dance because they haven't been really good in recent years like I mean last year they won the Big Ten tournament and... they did but they're not like you know dominant Johns Hopkins like they've been in in earlier years like when Maryland and Hopkins were playing on Memorial Day weekend all the time no I mean that's that's more just you know the sports growing and it, it, it's so much more than Maryland Hopkins, but that's at the same time kind of what makes that, that rivalry so special is that, you know, it's in a new conference now. They're not always the best, but when they are, it's, it is really something. Well, it's, it's amazing to think that this sport isn't nearly as Maryland-centric as it used to be, but then again, Towson's still playing Maryland. But then again, there are two Maryland teams seated, and it's Towson and Loyola. Yeah, it's not Maryland. It makes no sense. And it's not Maryland Hopkins. Yeah, but still, like, five of the teams in the field are Maryland teams. Still kind of crazy when you think about it. It is, it is less Maryland dominant than it used to be, but it's still very much Maryland dominant. So what do you think? There are going to be a lot of Maryland fans there. It's not, a, it's not a long drive at all. They could expect to win it, I guess, but they haven't played well. I think defensively, too. Just You, you look and you lose by five goals multiple times. Defensively, this team's not nearly as good as it should be because John Tillman teams, and when I covered this team, you heard it all the time, defensively that's what they are always about they have great attackers but they always pride themselves defensively first and they have not been good defensively recently yeah i mean in the two games against hopkins they just struggled to get shots off like they were very severely outshot in both games and that's partially the draw control and a lot of that's turnovers those i mean you combine those two things and you know, Hopkins was getting shots off and then backing up its misses. 
and would just wear down the defense. And that's how you get a second half 10-1. Yeah. It's bad. Yeah, oh, oh it was every, ba- every bit as bad as that number sounds. Uh, yeah. Can't imagine. Anyway, so, uh, Justin, you have any thoughts on the men? Do you think they're going to win this weekend and not be eliminated for the first time outside of Memorial Day weekend since 2012? So before you get into that, I actually do want to correct you. 2012, they were unseated, made it to the championship game anyway. Won at Lehigh in the first turn. They beat Hopkins and Duke before losing Loyola in the title game. But I think things to watch this weekend, Towson, isn't your typical, I guess, if you want to call it, mid-major, even though it's not really a thing in lacrosse, mid-major team. They went to the Final Four two years ago, a bit of a down year last year. But, you know, this team that has that tournament experience, their coach, you know, prides themselves on being a tough defensive team. So, obviously, you know, Hopkins also likes to pride themselves on that as well. So, just for Maryland trying to figure out a way to, like, that offense, when Tillman's offense works – it works really well when guys don't. They kind of start to tense up, work for too much of a perfect shot, and that's when you see a lot of one-and-done possessions. The second thing, I think Towson's face-off man, Alex Woodall, has not been completely healthy down the stretch. He's played 12 games this year. I have his stats right now. He's won 74% of face-offs with 142 ground balls out of 205 wins, which shows you that you know he's really – Dominant. He's really controlling that face-off X because in lacrosse you get a win even if you know you don't come up with the ground ball to the face-off. And the third thing is too, there are a lot of Maryland guys on this Towson roster. So even if Maryland has this chip on the shoulder because they're an underdog, you have a lot of in-state guys on Towson who also have that chip of you know we're not just trying to go deep in the tournament again. This is a team that passed. This is we're playing a team that didn't look at us. So. There's that motivation. And another fun fact, Timmy Monahan, who's Towson's second leading goal scorer, played at Maryland his first two years before transferring in. So he'll be one of those, you know, a lot of guys who has that extra motivation of we're playing that school that's the standard in our state, didn't recruit us. Let's show them why they should have. Yeah, that makes sense. All makes sense. So you think they're going to win? Predictions? I think. I think it's a toss-up. I think if Maryland, I think if Woodall doesn't play, I would feel much better about it. But if Towson can turn it into a make-it-take-it game, which Woodall has done against teams this year, as a Towson team that smoked Hopkins earlier in the season, beat Loyola. Those teams are obviously much different places. But if Maryland can control the game, especially at the face-off X and limit the turnovers, I think it's a good chance if Towson turns into make-it-take-it. I don't see it happening. Thomas? I mean, if you're making me pick, I'm picking Maryland. Of course. But I can, I can see it going south. I can see it going south. You didn't expect Maryland to play as poorly as they did down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it. I mean, th- there is just so much talent here. And in the NCAA tournament, a lot of that kind of comes out. A lot of people – this seems like the kind of group that might ri- – you know, has a good chance to rise to that moment. I kept thinking they were going to, and they didn't wake up, but we'll see what that happens. That game is, what, Saturday or Sunday? I don't remember. That's also Sunday. Sunday um, Sunday at 2.30. Have fun with that. 
good old Johnny United Stadium in Towson. I've covered lacrosse at that stadium. It's very nice. Yeah. The uh, the new basketball arena is where they had high school graduation in my county, so oh, got a connection right. there as well. I had it at the Leacora Center. Not as special as you would think. Uh, anyway, before we get too far into that, uh, there are other sports things that are happening at Maryland. Uh, Thomas, where are we on baseball and softball? Well, softball's over. Softball uh, played its way completely out of the Big Ten tournament <laughs> and into last place in the Big Ten. Um, this was a weird year. They, they won their most games under Julie Wright. But that was all, pretty much all in the non-conference. They were 16 and 12 entering Big Ten play, um, and they they finished 20 and 31. So they went four and 19 in the conference. They lost their last eight games. They really weren't competitive at all in their last six. That was at Nebraska and at home against Michigan. And you know, even they started one and five, but showed some sort of promise because they were up against. Minnesota, who was one of the three elite teams in this conference alongside Michigan and Northwestern. And they got swept, but the, every game was close. And then they played Ohio State close, won a game from them. But just throughout it, I think sort of the pitching staff wore down. Um, you know, the hitters started just weren't all as consistent at once. Um, big part of conference play was not having Taylor Okada, who – when she was healthy, the this uh, freshman second baseman put up, you know, was hitting like 430. Just numbers that a Maryland player doesn't put up. Like I haven't, I haven't seen, you know, 400 in forever here. And she went down with some sort of knee injury uh, right before conference play. Never returned, and soft, you know, the softball team is weird about this. They they never really said what it was. But you kind of got the sense past a certain point that you wouldn't see her for the rest of the year. That's unfortunate. And it clearly didn't help. Well, you lose your best player for half the season when you're going through a murderer's row seems bad. Less than ideal. Yeah, it's not good. Baseball. Still more season for them to go. Yeah, they got swept by Michigan too. So Michigan actually, they they sent three teams on a charter together because the women's lax tournament was in Baltimore and both baseball and softball were in College Park. So they sent three teams on a charter Wait, what to Maryland. Was the, oh, Jesus. Well, you know, John Harbaugh is sending his team to friggin' South Africa. You can't be surprised. Jim Harbaugh. Jim, you know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm not at any... John I wish he'd send his team to South Africa. That's very much that not something John Harbaugh would do. That would, that would be really funny. I'd really enjoy it if he did that, but no, okay. Uh, the poor Baltimore media would have to go with him, too. Uh, yeah, well, it's better than covering the Orioles. Correct. Who might be moving to Las Vegas, according to someone on their flagship radio station. I know it's not true. I just had to say it. Anyway, back to the point of uh, Michigan flying charters to College Park. Yeah, and then... The life they lead. Yeah, and then they all kind of just stomped Maryland and everything and then went home. Um, Minus the women's lacrosse thing. That didn't happen. Yeah, well, they didn't get to play Maryland. This is true. But they didn't play Maryland, and therefore, you know, how it goes. Yeah, and so... Maryland still beats Michigan at the sports that really matter. Correct. Um, the the baseball team, I mean, they, they had showed some sort of promise. They had a winning Big Ten record entering last weekend, but, you know, just really looked overmatched by, by Michigan, by the weather. 
Um, and so they've got two Big Ten series left. They're at Minnesota this week. That that won't be easy. Um, Minnesota's one of the better teams in the league. That's on the road. And then they've they've got one more home series left. So they'll be they're still fighting for one of those top eight spots to get into the Big Ten tournament. Um, which if you can do that after, you know, a pretty up and down season, uh, it'll, it'll be probably a step in the right direction. But, um, you know, they showed this weekend that they've got a long, long way to go to start contending for the big 10. If that's something they want to do. That's unfortunate. Yeah, there wasn't, it wasn't the best week for uh, bat and ball sports, especially Sunday, which was raining. And then like, everyone kept playing in the rain and just kept getting blown out a little worse every few minutes. Stick and ball sports had a bad weekend. Yep. Uh, well, can't be all bad, right? No, we have golf now. Yeah. Golf expert, Thomas Kenzora, to bring us some brevity and some happiness. Let's, well, let's talk about Maryland women's golf in the NCAA tournament for the first time in seven years. Uh-huh. And, the the way they do it is 18 teams go to these regionals and Maryland was a number 13 seed so they were not really supposed to super be in the mix but top 6 teams out of this regional advanced to nationals Maryland they they finished up today Wednesday as we're recording this and finished 7th by 3 shots so Really knocked on the door, gave it a run. But so the team will not be going to to nationals, but they they will have a player going to nationals for the first time in program history, and it's it's honestly one of the great uh, names at Maryland right now. It is Wheelandpot Olin Kankutai. Congratulations! You practiced before the podcast pronouncing that, and you got it correct. I did. I did. You. That was that was a tough one. You because a gold star. that's also not how it looks like it should be pronounced. No, it is but, not. And she is Thai, which is always famous for names that are just absolutely uncomprehendable. And I have an uncomprehendable last name, so there you go. Yeah, there's there is some some wild stuff from Thailand last names. There are you know they're becoming more and more of a presence kind of throughout golf, uh, especially on the women's side. There are these two sisters that are among the top players in the world. Like, they have very easy names compared to this. Hmm. So, women's golf, a very international team. They have eight players and seven are from outside the U.S. Um, last year, all of their players were from outside the U.S. So, um, you know, just a really interesting sort of dynamic there. But they've made it work really well, and they, they really gave it a run. To, to go to Nationals. That's very good. And that's the most excited we've been about any Maryland spring sport since, well, can't think of... Since w- since women's lax a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that's about it. So the lacrosse tournament games are this weekend. Hope you will be watching. I bet you all will. And uh, hopefully baseball can turn around. And uh, I'm still without a voice. My nose is congested. And I'm now off of adrenaline. So I now feel sick again. Until June. Until June 1st, when I'll be even more sick. You've got time to prepare, I guess. No, I don't. There's never enough time to emotionally prepare for something like that. You and Harry Kane. 
Oh, he needs. I, I don't get horse placenta like he's going to get. That's a very inside joke. If you don't get it, you might need to look it up. But that's an inside soccer joke. There might be two in for this audience, but I don't know. I do know that there is somebody who is a Maryland fan out there whose podcast I'm going to be listening to very shortly. And it's going to be probably one of the craziest podcasts I've ever listened to in my life. Okay, so if we're a, a Maryland sports podcast, how about really bad news for the Preakness this week? Yeah, that that's unfortunate. That's rough. Oh, I, I feel so terrible for the for the horses. I mean... I, it's just terrible that the, the horse that cheated didn't end up winning, and then the horse that did end up winning ended up being sick. It's just the worst thing ever. As someone who's grew up outside of Baltimore, a good portion of that crowd will not care because they will be way too drunk to remember anything that happened that day. But this is yes, it's a big blow. This is That's kind of the point with horse racing. Well, it's the point in the infield. your money on the, fire. The, po- the point in the stands is to wear as ridiculous as a hat as possible while losing as much money as possible. Fair. Preakness or the Met Gala? Yeah, that, that joke was inevitable. Yes. Extremely inevitable. The answer is yes. The answer is yes, absolutely. But that joke if you is get... far too inevitable there. One more... Sorry, one more fun fact about the Preakness. The official mascot of the Preakness used to be named Kegasus. That it was a Pegasus that had sense. a bunch of beer. That makes too much sense. It, it, it really it's, does. That's one of my favorite Maryland things in a long time. I'm trying to think of what is more Maryland than that. I can't Jousting. Think. It might be. It might be. Official state sport? Official state sport? No, the official state sport's driving at 60 in the left lane. Sorry, Maryland drivers, I had to say it. No, my Maryland drivers. <laughs> Enough of mine. Anyway, I think that's about it. We'll be back at some point in the future when I have um, recovered. By the way, if you... If I, you might never. I, you might never. I don't never. know if I'll ever recover. Well, depending what happens on June the 1st, who knows. But I could say, I could say this. You know the feeling you get when Maryland does a very rare thing that's good in sports? It's kind of what this feels like. Like, again, imagine going to the Final Four under completely ridiculous circumstances when your team's half-broken, you couldn't get anybody to come in that really, you know, makes a huge impact. Tottenham didn't add anybody in the last two transfer windows. And then they go to the Final Four in a crazy way, and then they somehow win on a buzzer beater in the Final Four to go in the National Championship game. That's the only way I can compare this if you're not a soccer fan. It's the only it's the only way I can bring the two things together. Soak it in. That's all I can say. Uh, Soak it in. I, I don't know, man. Try to, somehow. It's not possible. It makes no sense, logically. It, that's that's sports. It, they don't always make sense. Well, really, they don't have soccer to. Soccer really doesn't make sense. No. Not at all. It is the only sport where you could get away with getting completely off your meds drunk at 7.30 in the morning. And everybody's like, yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. Yes, and Washington, D.C. is one of the biggest Premier League markets in the country. So there you have it. Anyway, go Terps and come on your Spurs. I'll be better next week, I promise.